Hello. Hold on. I need a shot of like caffeine to the fucking list. I feel what like I'm that? like, I don't even know. I was like, hello. Last week that was great. Hello, useful idiots. Yeah. Hello, useful idiots. Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. I'm Matt Taibbi. Very excited to be interviewing on today's show. Nadia Talkonikova of uh, Pussy, Pussy Riot. Riot. Mm-hmm. A lot happened in the world this so uh, much, last yeah. week. In fact, it happened literally as we were wrapping up the last show, which kind of sucks yeah, for us. Right. So. Especially because I think a lot of your fans, Matt, uh, read you for your insights into Russia, Russia Gate. Yeah, so they're going to be really dis- disappointed again. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, and, so. Well, na- not now. But first, first, I mean, you guys know this probably better than we do. We start each show with the four food groups, four basic food groups. Does Republicans suck? Democrats suck? Isn't that weird? And isn't that horrible? Yeah. So with Republicans suck, we have a very sad story about a um, politician named Amanda Chase, who was expelled from the Chesterfield GOP. And so she's a Virginia Senator. Amanda Chase is speaking out after the Chesterfield GOP expelled her from membership on Monday. So this just happened. And she was kicked out because she was supporting the opponent of a Republican nominee for sheriff, which violated the local Republican rules. She's very like Trump-like, just so you know, okay? So this is a woman who says like rape survivors, like we're asking for and they're naive. She walks around with a gun. She had a confrontation with a Capitol police officer and um, she's accused of cursing the police officer out and calling the police officer Miss Piggy. Wow. So then, because of this beef, the sh- the sheriff was mad at her and wanted her to apologize, but she refused, okay? Mm-hmm. She refused to really apologize. All she said was she, she offered a written apology for losing her cool, but she denied the Piggy, Mrs. Piggy comment. She said she, she cursed out the gate, because this was like a gate-related parking offense, parking okay. controversy. The point is, I was upset that Republicans would not be more accommodating just because she broke the rules. I think that they should let her stay in because she's kind of like a female Trump. I see. Right? And also... So you love Trump? No, but I mean, I, I don't exactly know how to play the, play this game because it's like, I'm just trying to think. It's such an intellectual exercise to think of what makes a Republican good or bad. Like, right. they're so bad. So I was kind of trying to be... All right, let me put my cards on the table. The truth is I was very inspired by last week's Sean Spicer thing, uh-huh. and I wanted something creative. And right. so I realized that this woman, and maybe I'm forcing it too much, but this woman was endorsed before she was kicked out by the singer Joy Villa. And I don't know if you know Joy Villa. I don't. She's a, she's a multi-genre. She's kind of like, we're going to be interviewing someone from Pussy Riot today mm-hmm. who also likes to shake things up genre-wise. So I consider Joy Villa the kind of right-wing Trump fan version of Pussy Riot, if you will. Wow. She really likes to play with genres. And so she made a video in support of this congresswoman before she was kicked out, but after she had, you know, blamed rape victims and after she had gotten to the Mrs. Piggy incident. But I just want to play a little bit of of the type of music. And you may have seen this woman because she made a splash when she showed up to the Grammys with a like Make America Great outfit. Then she had like a, a wall outfit where she was literally Trump's wall, the border wall. I didn't see that, she but that like sounds a, hilarious. Yeah, she's great. She had like a rainbow fetus, um, anti-Planned Parenthood type of thing. Ooh. I'm not sure if I'm coming down on it as like the Republicans suck because they kicked her out or the Republican who is Amanda Chase, the local politician from Virginia sucks because she likes this woman's music. So let me just play a little bit of this woman's song and then you'll help me walk it back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Song. This is basically 
instead of the four food groups, this is like, it's not Republican suck. It's like, can I show you Joy Villa? Okay. She's a couple of good hits, and this is one of my favorite hits. It's called Make America Great Again. Seems like we were lost our way. Where did we go astray? The lies that we've been told have put our dreams on hold. And you know if we don't watch out, we could all go under and drown. Yeah, the future depends on us. So we gotta wake up, gotta shake it up now and let's make America great again. Um, that's, an, that's an amazing video. Yeah. We have to have her on the show. This is the second week in a row that the Republican suck is not really Republican suck. I know. Are we, this is so bad for our brand because people right? are going to totally accuse They're gonna us start of being pro- Trump apologists, which right. they already do just because... Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. But here she is at, at one award ceremony where she's wearing a Make America Great Again. She has the purse. And she is. The purse um, is amazing. It's amazing, right? We and, were all bragging about the straws. The purse just blows away. And, and look, her dress is literally a wall. It says, Build the Wall, right? And it's made out of bricks. That and is then fantastic. She has, you see the barbed wire coming out of around her, her neck? I mean, I think it's probably not hard barbed wire. because So she's be wearing barbed wire so like the Mexicans can't get yeah, past her yeah. face, basically. She should just stand at the border. Yeah. That's what she should do because we're having trouble funding it, right? She should right? make like a 4,000 foot tall, what's her name? Joy Villa. Joy Villa. Just like a gigantic animatronic Joy Villa and put it at the border yeah. and just scare the hell or out of she them. Could, yeah, exactly. Or she could just walk the border back and forth. All right, we got to get her on the show. Um, Democrats suck. Just... A comment on Bill de Blasio's exit from the race, I just felt like, having covered a lot of presidential campaigns, I think it's worth pointing out that this might have been the most pathetic presidential campaign ever. This is what a Siena pollster found at the end of Bill de Blasio's run. They did a poll of New York residents. They found that they asked 359 Democrats in New York State how many of them would choose Bill de Blasio as their president. How many do you think chose Bill de Blasio? Please tell me one. One. Really? Yeah, exactly. We should have that person on the show. We gotta find whoever that person is. If you if you, if you you were the person who asked, who answered a poll, a Siena pollster, and said that Bill de Bla- you wanted Bill de Blasio to be your, your president and you're a New York State resident, we want to have you on the show. But that is an unbelievable one? statistic. What think about it? it. You launched a multi-million dollar presidential campaign. You have a, uh, theoretically a gigantic base in New York City. You yeah, got Dante. You got a son named Dante. You got a son named Dante. What if the president, what if the, what if the nominee turned out to be from the South and they wanted a, like a Northern Democrat to, to sort of help garner strength in you know a place like New York? De Blasio gives you absolutely the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, it's like... Yeah, a, he'd be it, a liability. It's almost impossible to get just one person from your home yeah, state. Yeah, what, what's... Where, I guess upstate, to be fair, like upstate is very different from Manhattan, right? Yes, but... Uh, we're we're assuming some of those people are from New York so that was amazing remember I I always miss him for quoting Che Guevara during a debate in Miami did he do that oh yeah he quoted Che Guevara yeah I'm still all about the the killing the groundhog on Groundhog Day I can't get I think I either didn't know that which makes me feel like a very bad groundhog ally or I suppressed it (laughs) we got the woodchuck right what's his name Buttigieg is the woodchuck woodchuck. I, I really do care about these actually groundhogs are woodchucks did you know this is that the same thing? They are the same thing. I didn't know this until very recently. That's embarrassing that I didn't know that. Yeah, you see, this whole, so we really can, invisibilize them. Incidentally, he's not the only, um, Amy Klobuchar told a story this week about uh, golfing and I think accidentally killing a duck. We have to look that up. It's oh, some wow. kind of bird. I'm uh, almost impressed. That's Well, 
That's so on brand for her, though, right? She, yeah, she, she yells at her staff. Yeah. She throws like staplers at her staff. She's the yeah. highest rate of turnover. Right. Um, as we know, she'll eat with the with the comb, which we still have to do. We, we keep teasing our yeah, listeners. Yeah. yeah. So she shanked one and killed something. I'm not sure exactly what it was. So so De Blasio what killed a groundhog. She killed something else anyway. But groundhogs are really cute. They are. Yeah. I don't know what she killed. If she killed a shark, I'd be okay. I hate sharks. <laughs> with a, with a, I with hate a, sharks. With, with a two iron? Yeah. However she had to do it, yeah. I'd be there defending her. All right, what um, do we have for Isn't That Terrible? So Isn't That Terrible is a hit piece, basically, on Labradoodles. So, <laughs> you heard me. And I, I really want to call this guy out. It's it's kind of tragic on multiple levels, but terrible on multiple levels. So the creator of the Labradoodle crossbreed has said he inadvertently unleashed a Frankenstein monster. Wally Conran, 90, who worked for Guide Dog Victoria in Australia when he bred the first Labrador Poodle Cross in 1989, spoke of his regrets at having begun a trend for designer breeds on an ABC podcast. I opened a Pandora's box and released a Frankenstein's monster, he said. His big regret is that his invention paved the way for unethical, ruthless people to breed the dogs without thinking of the health of their offspring. According to Conran, the majority of Labradoodles are either, quote, crazy or have an hereditary problem, with healthy examples of the breed few and far between. He believes people have gone too far with crossbreeding, which can increase a dog's risk of congenital disease. And he laid particular scorn of the new on the new Rottweiler poodle hybrid, known as a rottle or rottle poo. Rottle poo? Rottle poo. What, what kind of a person mates a Rottweiler and a poodle? This, this sadist who then labradoodle shames and tries right, to call yeah. them monster frankenstein dogs you that's so that's really horrible now he seems like in a way a good guy because you know why he invented the labradoodle in the first place because it's hypoallergenic how'd you know because of the obama thing remember the obama and he wanted to get a puppy for his, oh yeah didn't yeah. he have barney he ended up getting portuguese the portuguese water, water dog, dog yeah. yeah so he was trying to provide a guide dog for a blind woman in hawaii whose husband was allergic to dogs and the resulting litter of three was small, but one of the puppies did not trigger the husband's allergies and was sent to Hawaii to be her guide dog. The reason it's so sad is that I really don't like the just open bashing of Labradoodles and <laughs> generalizations about their behavior, that they're all crazy and all have health effects, uh, defects. Like, that's not an empowering narrative, and I'm not here for it. But doesn't isn't he uniquely qualified to make that determination? Because he's like the, this is like the Tyrell Corporation of, of, of Labradoodles, right? I mean, he's Okay, the... well, yes, another dog expert agreed with him, so you're right. In essence, you're blindly breeding and altering genetics of the line without foreknowledge. So here's why I'm, I'm and, and have you seen Bichon Frise's? Yes. They're so cute. Their okay. eyes water, I, I, I guess. I, I got you don't a, like them? I'm not a Bichon Frise Are you fan. serious? Yeah. He said they must be in agony all the time. They breathe the face flat so they look humanoid because we find that attractive with no consideration of the permutations we are producing with regards to the dog's welfare or health. Yeah, same thing with pugs. They have trouble breathing because that people want a I know. flat-faced dog. Right, but that looks humanoid? Oh, I guess because we have you know, flatter faces than we don't. Yeah. Hogarth, the famous artist, he had a French bulldog, which is sort of like a pug. It's like a kind of, yeah, same kind I know, of dog. Yeah, I know. And cute, they, yeah. he, he did a self portrait of himself next to his dog because they had their faces looked alike. So, oh, that yeah. is gross. It's like Liberace and his boyfriend. All right. Anyway, no more crossbreeding in unhealthy ways. That's why my dogs are re- my parents' dogs are rescue. Do you guys have a dog? I have a dog. What kind? Not a rescue. You are part of the problem. Oh my God! All right. Well, let's not be. Let's not shame Labradoodles. They're they're fine. Yeah. You know they're not crazy and genetically. You know some of them are. You yeah. know destined for yeah. failure and misery. Yeah. So isn't that weird? I saw this news story. Headline is body of Florida woman found in portable toilet that caught fire, comma exploded, comma officials say. 
And there's a couple of things about this. First of all, I just love that headline. Yeah. It kind of reminds me like the, the, I had a friend who used to collect what he called comma self headlines, which oh. are like, you know, like, you know, man kills our... wife, comma, dog, comma, self. <laughs> right. So he had like so a whole, yeah, like yeah. You know, the, the comma self headline. So, you know, caught fire, comma, exploded, comma, officials say. But yeah, this is in St. Augustine, Florida. And basically a woman went into a porta potty. And it and just blew up. Out. Yeah, det- it says, quote, detectives believe believe the decedent is too badly burned for immediate identification. So no this is like straight out of Spinal Tap. Missing? You know what happens sometimes? People just yeah. explode. But yeah. this is like a, this is like the next step. Like if you go into a, a porta potty now, like you, I mean, we've all used one, right? Yeah. Right. Remember we did that. Uh, isn't that weird about the the Welsh bathroom that was like stopping right? people? Like yeah. I expect an accident to happen there, maybe. Right. That was the one that was going to shoot water on you when you were you. As we discovered, uh, that could also penalize um, like overweight people or parents in there with their kids and stuff. So not a good porta bathroom murder and bathroom violence is bad. But I thought she was killed and then had her head put in the porta potty. But this was a porta potty explosion, explosive death. It's it's a spontaneous combustion porta potty story. I don't know. I'm waiting for the news follow up. They just this was just the news news hit. That's so awful. Woman woman found uh, woman found unrecognizable in porta potty. You see, maybe this the theme of the show is like mixed genre because I feel like my isn't that terrible was kind of like an isn't that weird, and then your isn't that weird is kind of like an isn't that terrible, and then you were part of an isn't that terrible because of the dog story. Right. That we I hope like your enemies don't pick up and run with this because f- far worse the the trump thing has no legs you're not a trumpian it has right. no legs no he- no limbs no heads like the porta potty person <laughs> but i mean the dog thing wow yeah, we're going no, to have to make a you're going to have to jail i have, a, I have a great dog my great my dog's fine all right so all let's right. Uh, let's get on to uh, news of the world news of the world okay cool all right we're going to do this huh with the ukraine thing yeah we got to do it fuck man you know, before we, uh, I want to get your take on Ukraine, but before we get your... And yours, when are you guys both I, on the record on I this? I basically just have, like, really smart, informed people on this issue on, and I'm like, uh-huh, da- that's right. See, that's, that's just, it. that's so dishonest and wrong. It's like, not dishonest, it's lazy. It's not dishonest. No, it's, I mean, but look, it's smart. I farm out this... I don't speak Russian. I'd like to farm out. You know, but you can. can. Farm out on Bernie Bro narrative stuff. Equally important story. Okay. Farm out on what else can... Oh, the Jew stuff. Israel stuff. Right, the Jew I'll stuff. I'll do the heavy labor, the, all the heavy lifting there. Talk about the Jew stuff. Yeah, yeah, talk about it. That's what Amy Goodman does. Right, yeah. Talk about... Talk about Jews. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That could be the subtitle <laughs> of our show. Um, what do I think? Okay, here's my hot take. Ready? Uh-huh. And of course, I'm so non-expert. So the second you say something, if it contradicts it, I'll just we'll just cut it out. So I think that this is there's some Russiagate similarity, but it seems like seems like there's slightly a there there. It seems like something did happen, like Trump did do something sketchy, but it also seems like Biden did something sketchy. So it seems like a bit of a Pandora's box. Right. A little callback to the monster Frankenstein Labradoodle and. It also seems, and I guess this is so predictable, but it's like of all the things they're going to go after Trump for, I mean, this certainly is not the most morally reprehensible thing he did or ethically. I guess I don't, I'm curious about if, if this is more, if this is easier to do legally than other things. So I think it's a, and, and actually Chris Hedges was on Democracy yep, Now! Saw and made that. A great, you saw that he had a great argument against impeachment. What so was his argument? Basically that. You know, and Aaron Maté has made this too, this argument, which is that, you know, th- what people get impeached for or get in trouble for isn't 
It's about how much you go after the institutions. Like Nixon was Watergate as opposed to Nixon was Cambodia. Bombing Cambodia, yeah. right? So you have this ghastly crime that kills, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or whatever it is. And it's clearly illegal, blatantly, you know, violation of, of executive power. But that's not what you go to right. you, you get in trouble for. You get in trouble for stepping on the toes of the other elite institution. Right. So even though I think I just point this out too, like the, the Republicans had broken into Ellsberg's, Daniel Ellsberg's oh, yeah, doctor's no, the, office. That didn't matter either, right? So the were, breaking and entering wasn't the issue. It was breaking and entering into the office of the Democratic. Yeah, party. I mean, if yeah. you were, if this, if this had been, you know, the Socialist Workers Party or the, you know, the Weather Underground or you know, the Black Panthers or whatever it is, I mean, they routinely, consistently right, that was part violated. Of yeah, what the FBI does. Yeah. yeah so you know, there, there were similar. There were there were lots and lots of buggings and and you know, violations back then but it was wasn't until they violated another elite institution that suddenly right. everybody's like oh my god this is ter- this is terrible so this is an, al- an analogous situation clearly because um, if you go back to you know even the early bush years right you know, think about the invasion of iraq right which is was done by manipulating the intelligence agencies clearly lying clearly disseminating false information to news agencies um, illegally leaking information um, scooter libby thing the scooter, Li- scooter libby thing but 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 you know, specifically lying to get right. people into a war that kills you know, what a hundred thousand people two hundred thousand people it was a lot of people right. it, it takes up five six trillion dollars in uh, you know in public treasure destabilizes the entire region destabilizes the entire region massive human rights violations right. you know so there's that then we have the you know go you go on there's the drone assassination campaign right. which is a you know a very questionable legality uh going forward multiple presidents involved in that you have the surveillance program that we only find out about because of snowden um the Intelligence chiefs lie to Congress when asked about that. Uh, the the presidents who were involved in that also not impeached. And if you had asked me about that, any of those things, even with those, I might have hesitated about impeaching even on those issues because you know having lived in the third world or second world countries where it's a constant power struggle and you don't exactly know who's going to be president of the, at the end of the day when right. you wake up in the morning, that is so such a bad situation to be in for any country and you should really only fire this shot uh to try to overturn a a government before an election you know probably in the most extreme situation and that's not what the so you're saying trump is good so you like trump (laughs) exactly how long have you been a trump fan right exactly that's that's where this is gonna go so um but yeah what okay so I, i cut you off but but also like so what is the standard do you think my understanding of the of impeachment is they when they thought about this their idea was this was only going to be something you did in an extreme in the most extreme situation that transpi- transcends politics right which is why they purposely did not put it in the hands of the supreme court because they didn't they, they wanted it to be something that was decided by more people right mm-hmm. and reflected the entire views of the entire population uh so and they they put in the requirement that it be two-thirds of the senate for conviction so the you know the, the idea was the president's either completely insane or incapacitated and drooling or has, you know, robbed a bank in broad daylight, so, something like that, right. where everybody can agree on, like, you know, let's just get together and get rid of this person. This is exactly what the situation is not. If you turn on 
Fox News, listen to, to Republicans right now. You have the same number of people who voted. The, the Republicans all think this is a yawner, and Democrats right. all think this is Watergate times a million. It's precisely a political situation that I don't think this is what this is for. Right. You know, I think this is this is something that you tell your voters about that's bad, that they yeah. then use that information to vote against the person. Right. I don't know. I mean, what what, what like... And there are a couple questions, right? One is like whether this is actually impeachment worthy. Then it's whether or not it's like strategically a good idea. So let's let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into it. So also, we should probably set up what happened. Sure. So Trump in I was August twelfth has a conversation right. with you know Volodymyr Zelensky, the the Ukrainian president, and in this conversation. Uh, a couple of things happen. There's a mention of American military aid to Ukraine, Javelin missiles. People remember, we didn't provide military aid to Ukraine before this administration. This was actually part of the controversy that Trump originally got in trouble with, which was the, this idea that he wasn't going to approve the uh, military aid to Ukraine right. during the convention in 2016, but he ended up doing that. Right. Right. And I don't actually don't think it's a good idea. Like, I don't think uh, America has a national interest in arming one or the other side of this conflict. Like, you know. Right. It's, it's also kind of goes against the nar- the Russiagate narrative, doesn't it? Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Like a couple of years ago, we were saying Trump intervened to stop military aid to 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 Ukraine. Then they, of course, they they, they did actually approve it. Here the issue is, ostensibly, Trump is with is holding back that aid to induce Zelensky to do a couple of things. Right. Number one, look into rumors that he heard, Trump heard on probably on Fox and Friends about CrowdStrike and the origins of Russiagate. When he talks about a favor, that's what he's mm-hmm. referring to, that part. And then secondarily, um, he's talking about Biden and he wants Zelensky to investigate Biden and his son, Hunter, who had a essentially a no-show job on the board of this company, Burisma, which is a gigantic gas company that incidentally is a major contributor to the Atlantic Council, which is like a NATO think tank organization that's kind of connected to the Democrats. So it's, the whole thing is a little complicated right. and hairy. But, but the, the, the improper thing is clearly Trump is asking for an investigation into somebody who could easily be his right. opponent in the presidential election. That's the bad thing, right? Yeah. And there's no way to cut it. That's a sleazy, bad, bad thing to do. And he definitely deserves censure for that. Question is, is this an impeachable offense? A, right? And the second thing is, why are we doing this? Because right. you're not going to get two thirds in the Senate. And the the new spin in the, in the press is, you never know. It could right. happen. Yeah. Right? And also, it's not going to hurt us in the, in the general election next year, because even though it's not popular now with a majority of voters, it might be. But if it's not going to succeed, what what's the point? I don't right. really understand. Do and then what understand? happens? And then he's impeached, he stays like like Clinton was impeached and stayed? Exactly. Or is the idea he's impeached and then he would resign? He's not, not going to resign, but he'd be forced out. And then we have Pence? Well, he, he'd have to be impeached in the House, and then which he would be. Yeah. And then it would go to the Senate where there would be a trial, which would be voted on by the Senate. Right. And, and the then Senate would have vulnerable. to vote. vulnerable? Is that the idea? Like- I mean, I think their idea is that it would be this nonstop reality show that would constantly show the... Honestly, the, the, he would dominate. I really think he would just manage to be able to make fun of it, like turn it on its head, even if it I, got to that point. I, I mean, that's been the pattern, you know, going back. I mean, th- think about all the different things that you, you look back at this the last couple of years of massive emergencies that that have been 
where the idea of, of impeaching Trump has come up. There was, even before he entered office, there was that whole incident where Comey and Brennan and Mike Rogers of the NSA uh, and James Clapper, they presented Trump with the Steele dossier right. and then they leaked that to the news and that was, there was the P-tape thing. Right. Then there were the hearings about, you know, all of that. Then there was the firing of Comey. Then there was the idea that he had committed treason in Helsinki. There was a craze for a while. Don't don't forget about where people thought he was crazy. So let's invoke the twenty. Oh yeah, Amendment. that's when you were saying he has to be drooling or crazy. There are people who say he has dementia. Yeah, they tried. They tried that thing too. Yeah. and you know, I've I've talked to people who genuinely believe that, but I don't. That wouldn't work either. I we need think. another think piece about his psych uh, about his psychology by a psychiatrist telling us what's wrong with his brain or what's wrong with his psyche. How I I really can't I can't deal with those. They're such waste of time. Yeah, no, people people have done, I mean, you know, the whole, his narcissistic personality yeah. disorder, all that. Then there was the Michael Cohen testimony, right? People thought that was going to produce the big campaign vi right. finance violation. Then the Mueller probe, Mueller's testimony. There, there was even a movement to impeach him over the get back comments. None of these things are good. Oh, go back to... The go back, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now they're going to do it, and essentially what they're saying is, are you for Trump or against him? And that's pretty much the end of the dialogue uh, yeah. in the press. And I, I just, if it's not going to work, where does this go? Do you th I mean, right. Like yeah. leaving, a, again, and leaving aside the kind of ethics, morals, political, ideological stuff, it is weird that I think people who really, really hate Trump in a way where, like, I hate Trump, but I don't, but I see him as... In some ways, unprecedented and an aberration. In other ways, a total continuation. But I do feel like Trump derangement, Trump derangement syndrome. syndrome yeah. It's real. I do think it is. And so I think people who have that, they're so emotionally invested, they don't even see what would be strategic. Or they're so in, in their own inner circle that they don't get that what happens in their social scene isn't what happens in the rest of the country. So they right. don't get that people won't care. This won't resonate with people. Right. Again... For, for me, having covered the election after Trump yeah. got elected, the way I saw it was basically in 2016, you had just massive collapse in confidence among right. the whole the whole population in both parties, right? And you essentially you had the rightist movement that wins. It's a rightist populist movement that that essentially beats the establishment, the political establishment, and it puts them in out of power, right? So right now you're looking at the sort of rightist populist movement, which doesn't speak to me at all. And then there's the political establishment, which totally deserved mm -hmm. to lose all of its popularity. Right. Yeah. And they're fighting back. And what they should have done is really come up with a new message and a new way to to appeal to the country. And instead, they've just cranked up these political this idea that we're going to we're going to overturn th that decision by by means of political machinations, which won't work and I think actually might somehow make them even look more unpopular right yeah you know? yeah I mean also not to be like totally predictable but obviously there is somewhat of that has already been created by like Sanders that's like a Sanders right. movement is the anti-establishment but not right-wing right populist thing that of course they didn't choose and still aren't choosing which is so weird to me because I just don't understand if you look at reality, it's so clear that that's what the antidote to Trumpism. Right. So um, Hunter Biden also, he got this job in Ukraine after being dis, uh, discharged by the Navy. Is that what it was? The, the SEAL, Navy SEALs are just regular Navy. I'm not sure. But it was for cocaine. Wow. For testing positive for cocaine, which I kind of am surprised that like the 
not to sound conspiratorial, but I'm surprised they didn't make that go away. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, well, is Joe Biden actually that scrappy, scrappy Scranton guy who would be like, uh, you know what, the, the my, son needs to, my son needs to face the consequences. He needs to hear the music. That's let great. him serve, yeah, let yeah. him get in trouble and just give give him a job in Ukraine. <laughs> give him a job in Ukraine. Yeah, like that's his, like that's, you know, <laughs> that's the school of hard knocks for for, de- for corrupt Democrat. Yeah, go, um, why don't you go over to Ukraine and take a $50,000 yeah. a month job doing nothing yeah. and that's that'll that'll teach you. Yeah. yeah, but no, now they're all going to be in the blender f- for this stuff, and and the the sort of party line on this is that if you read any of the stories, there's no evidence that you know Biden did anything wrong, and that, you know there's no evidence that there was any influence going on. It just on its face, prima facie, it, it, your appearance is bad if you're giving the sitting vice president a, you know right. a no show job, and it, we'd have to find out if he actually did any work. The sitting vice he, president's son. Yeah, the sitting vice no, yeah. president's son. Yeah. There's no way that if we hear about this for a year, it's not going to look I bad know. for Biden if he ends I know. up being the nominee. And then the, the, yeah, and then they don't get it. They think, oh, just don't talk about it or else you're helping Trump. You're like, you, you think Trump's not going to bring this up? Of course he's going to. They're going to. Yeah. They already are, you know. And but you know, Trump, Trump, Trump is has completely misplayed this and deciding that he's going to threaten this oh, yeah, quote-unquote whistleblower, whistleblower yeah. and all that. God, like, that's, that's yeah. actually the really bad behavior. Right. I mean, yes. I mean that, that that's 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 really incredibly dangerous. And he's he's. Instead of saying, "Hey, this is this is the CIA," you know, the CIA whistleblower is trying to take me out. It's right. the deep state. You know, he's saying this is the far left and Alexandria, Alexandria right, Acosta, yeah. AOC, and um, Trump. What are you doing? You're dropping the ball here. Which maybe yeah. we should give. Maybe we should do like advice, uh, an advice column for Trump. Yeah, how d- to be a better advice to Donald. Yeah. That, that'll help us with yeah, our marketing. Go too, deep right? state, yeah. not left. Yeah, Come yeah, on, exactly. man. You're dropping the ball here. You have a great <laughs> opportunity. They're really so discord and. And co-op the left, and you're just not delivering. I just between Donald Trump and Adam, like their Adam Schiff. I just this is it's like watching. I can't think of what two football teams it is that I, where I I don't want either of them to win. But I and and again, it's not like we you can be anti-Trump and actually be believe in like a robust resistance and robust um, plan that doesn't include just empowering the intelligence community yeah i mean i think i think you you, your what your response is right like the the antidote to donald trump is supporting a government that actually you know is functional and addresses the needs of the population in a way that if it did there's no way people would ever vote for a guy like donald trump exactly right you know yeah like even 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 12 years ago people would never in a million years have thought of voting for a guy like this they just they they reached the point where they're you can't reach them anymore because right. and so and then just, they'll just see this as hypocrisy and double standards and look at this guy getting his son a fancy job and here's what happens and people don't get this well some annoying libs don't get this like both sides doing something bad when one side is kind of doesn't care which is the trump side that he's the guy who gets off better like like trump and biden are both let's say cutting corners the one who suffers there is biden because biden claims not to cut corners like trump's Fans don't care about that. Yeah, they like that he cheats. Exactly. If you, if you talk to Trump's uh, voters, they'll say things like, "Well, what about him using bankruptcy to to get out of his debts?" That you know, ultimately right. you end up paying for that. Like, right. You yeah, know, right. Like, and they're like, "Yeah, well, he's just a smart businessman. Yeah, Good exactly. for him." I you like know? that. Yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah. But in this situation, if you have one-sided media that doesn't that covers things up, right? Like, for instance, you know, this this story, no matter how you slice it. It doesn't look good for Biden the, right. more, the more you look at it. And if you sort of take pains to excise that from all your news reports, 
everybody right. sees that. Yeah, like and, the way that and, they've, yeah. And that looks bad. Meanwhile, Trump is just the same scumbag he's always been. And they're yeah. like, yay team, you know? So and didn't I, they also edit the the transcript of what Trump said on the phone call? A bunch of the stories did something the right-wing media is howling about. Trump at one point says, I want you to do me a favor in the transcript. And the thing he says right after that refers to, I want you to look into the CrowdStrike business, right. the origins of Russiagate, you know, um, where are the servers? And I don't know what he's talking about, this idea that Ukraine might have the server. That uh, It's but. like um, Zoolander with um, Owen Wilson. He's like, the files are in the computer. He dro- <laughs> that, and he drops a physical computer. He thinks right, the files right. are inside, yeah. But if you, there were, there were news stories, and actually... It even happened on Democracy Now! this morning where they said Trump asked for a favor and, and then the next thing they say is he asked to look into the Bidens. I, yeah, right. And that's not what the favor yeah. refers to. That's like kind of an example of the kind of stuff that happens when people, when it's one team versus another, right. like the all the news gets skewed and this happens and so much with Russia. And then they'll jump on it. Then they'll, they'll jump on it on the other side. They'll be like, look how dishonest they are. They're using, and I want to be clear, unlike you, I'm very partisan. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very like, very Machiavellian, I think, but uh, at least I'm honest about it. And I think I can be more objective because as the Machiavellian that I am, no, I can be honest about when it's happening, also honest about when it's useful. And this is, is just not useful. Like, I, I don't like Trump, yeah. but I wouldn't do this because once you start editing a transcript, you're just opening it up to people who are like, oh, look at the way they presented this. Yeah, and just to be to be clear, you're a Trump I'm pro- I'm, I pro- my, my political views are probably more or less identical to yours, yeah. but that I see this as, as, as two things. There's what I think in my private personal life right. which is what i'm going to do next november when when i vote and then there's the other thing is which is my job and the, the thing right. that used to be nice about journalism is that you didn't have to have a point of view on any of this stuff you just let this happen that happened this happened yeah. that, and look, you sort it out and that has disip- is is increasingly disappearing and and what people are what want when they look to news figures now is they want the emotional temperature like you know, damn Trump, this and that, where actually what people are really, really desperate for, there's a huge segment of people who just want to know what happened and they don't know where to go now because what they see is there's kind of blue state media that is telling you all the negative stuff about Trump. And then there's Fox, which is a total, you know, intellectual desert on the other, in the other direction. And I I don't think that's good. You know, I mean, I'm sort of grieving over the job a little bit. No, it's good. Yeah. And you get a lot of crap for it. Of course. Yeah. No, this is going to, this is not going to help either. I'm I'm sure people are noticing there's a couple of other prominent media figures out there who are kind of being tight lipped about this. And the reason for that is it's, it's going to be so exhausting to have to explain why you're not 100% on board with the big win that you know people would just rather not go there anymore which i, I also don't think is good like, right do, of course yeah you know? it's a chill, yeah it's totally a chilling effect but yeah and people don't want to deal with it and they don't want their their employers to be like contacted but yeah i just think that if biden has this stuff on him this is a mistake they made last time the idea that's like don't talk about it or else you're helping Trump instead of being like, OK, who's more vulnerable to Trump? And people should know that. And then they don't vote for him in the primary. Besides the fact that he's sundowns. Is that the term? It's but, like an unnatural. You're like stopping an evolutionary process that should happen. Not to pretend that like the election process is fair or natural or anything. But you people have, you know, things have to be fought out. Right. So this is going to end at least my career, right? So, yeah, but go out with no. You survived the Russiagate stuff, and this is um. Yeah. Look at look at where you are. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This is an important idea, though, that you can be critical of Trump and also critical of the Russiagate narrative or the Ukraine Gate narrative or whatever it is. You know who really exemplifies that more than anyone, more than even you? Who? 
Pussy Riot. Pussy Riot. Specifically, right. Nadia. Talkonikova. Exactly. Yep. February 12th, 2012, five of the seven-member band perform an anti-Putin song at Cathedral of Christ the Savior. In March, three of the women are arrested for, quote, hooliganism motivated by religious hatred and sentenced to two years in prison. One member is released on appeal, but sentences of the other two were upheld. On December 23, 2013, they are released on amnesty. During the Sochi Games in late February, several band members sing Putin will teach you to love the motherland in front of the Olympic rings. Two members are then arrested on charges of theft, but they are released 10 hours later. Shortly after, several members are whipped by Cossacks outside a downtown Sochi restaurant during a street performance. And then they just got arrested again, Pussy Riot, because um, the nice thing, I guess, about most places is that there are always more political prisoners you can protest. Right. On, on September 7th, they were arrested when they left her apartment. I'm reading, she wrote about this at the Daily Beast. We were planning to walk around Moscow with a rainbow flag and Russian Federation flag. Also, we had a Putin, you'd better leave by yourself banner and a handful of colorful smoke cannons. Our ultimate goal was the Russian White House. We wanted to make an art statement in front of our government. It was the day before the elections in Moscow City Parliament. Elections that put Moscow on political fire this summer, causing mass protests and crazy outrage by cops who beat and injured people. Yeah, I don't think they do this. The colored smoke cannon does not. They don't have a real sense of humor about that. In they Moscow. don't. They don't. Yeah. They don't like it. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Arrested again. This woman was imprisoned by Putin. Did uh, hard did a, time. Hard time. Terrible stories to tell. Terrible stories. But um, she thinks that the you know the United States liberal media misuses this narrative and uses it as a scapegoat. And so if it, obviously she's not a Putin fan or a Trump fan, right? Uh, you know she has a lot of credibility in this issue and yes, exactly. real interesting opinion. So tune in. Yeah. special guest uh, today. We're going to be speaking to Nadia Talkonikova of the group Pussy Riot, who is in an undisclosed location, but uh, talking to us a little bit today. Uh, Nadia, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. Just so people know, it's not like she's actually here and we put her in a separate room for this aesthetic. She's actually not here. She, she's in a different place. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it could be kind of like an artistic choice that we did. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, um, I remember those days when Russian police were on our back and we were escaping from them actually su successfully for a week before we ended up in jail for two years. And uh, they... Um, we still wanted to give interviews because we realized that it's our maybe last chance to talk in the next like seven years. Right. And, but you cannot do it from your actual computer. I mean, you cannot do it from your house, that's for sure. You cannot do it um, from your house or your um, friend's house internet because they will come right away knowing your IP address. So we had to talk from Starbucks, restrooms, and yeah, it wow. looks kind of like what you see right now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But we were in balaclavas because at the time, luckily, nobody knew who we are. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Your, your media strategy back then was, was so interesting. Um, I remember one of the things that, uh, if I remember correctly, you, you said at the time that all media are either sort of friends or enemies and that it was important to try to, uh, you know, get close to journalists and make take every opportunity to use uh, whatever media you possibly could to make your case. Um, is that right? I mean, was that was that a, where did you get that idea? And what, what, what was that? Do you have a conscious media strategy before you started? 
Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, we did a conscious media strategy, and I think it's really important to have it for every activist before you make any uh, step in public uh, space, because then later you can be disappointed about the way how you're portrayed in media. So if you have conscious strategy, then you can uh, control it in a way, not fully control it, because it's like its own organism, its own body, but you, know, you, can, you can create your own mythology. And we were working consciously but on it since like we're in activism since 2007. And we started right when uh, we were like, I don't know, grandmothers of activism at the time. <laughs> it was 2011. So, uh, yeah. And we talked with as many journalists as we can. Uh, and our idea was to make our voices heard, which is pretty obvious, right? And we wanted to be mainstream. And like, though, like we were accused of a bunch of uh, our peers that, hey, like you're selling out, we're like, no, like we are selling our idea and it has to be heard, it deserves to be heard. And actually its strategy really worked out really like, great for us because at the moment when we were, when, when we ended up in prison, we already had um, a shield of media that could protect us. And we were like more or less known in activist and artist circles. And it definitely helped us to create a big and effective campaign um, to release us and to help other political prisoners, to help other prisoners while we were in prison. We had this media platform and it worked really great for us. Yeah. I wrote about you at Feministing. Major media outlet, I'm sure. Major, you, I'm sure you, that's why Putin freed you guys, because the feminist and blogging. Just a little Yeah, I just w wanted to tell, I mean, like, strategies are changing, definitely, and, like, right now, we're not talking to everyone anymore. Right. Just because, uh, uh, I mean, like, we, we are creating, actually, we're busy creating actions and, you know, some, some, some real thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we are um, working on our creating our own media. We have it since 2014. It's called Media Zana. We realized that we have uh, not enough independent media in Russia. And instead of complaining uh, about not having enough media, we decided to take an action. And that's like, that's just my personal psychotherapy as an activist. So like when I see something terrible going on, yeah. I try to come up with three simple steps, how I can overcome it. And then I'm not sad anymore. I'm wow. happy and excited because I can actually uh, make something happen, you know? And when we were released from prison, we started Media Zana. And it's not about like the sexist thing in the world. It's about tortures in police departments. It's about what happens behind the closed doors. Like when world does not see our idea was to reveal it and to uh, take to make those people who torture other people accountable for what they're doing. That's why we created media outlet and we created a thing. Um, just like I mean, we. we um, it's called Zona Prava. It's a zone of justice. It's basically a bunch of lawyers helping case by case people who are uh, being held in police departments and mostly in prisons. What's it called, Nadia, again? It's called Zona Prava. Zona Prava. Uh, okay. The translation of it is zone of justice. Mm -hmm. Because and it's a word game because uh, Zona is, is a, a prison. Name yeah. of, ah, it's a prison. It. Yeah. And that's why our media outlet about prisons is called Media Zana and uh, this um, NGO that helps prisoners is um, Zone of Justice. 
And over the years, um, I mean, like, I'm really surprised by myself how actually we are taking uh, over the world and like Russia in particular because it's our primary interest. But we not just took a bunch of audience from other medias, but we actually created our own. And I saw a bunch of like really young people, like kids basically, who were like, we actually grew up as activists on reading your media outlet. Wow, and yeah. I was like on on listening to Pussy Red and I that's just the biggest reward ever. And you know, coming back to your initial question, yeah, I think that strategy that we started with was the right one. <laughs> Yeah, I saw a stat in the in the in the Russian media. I'm not sure if this is true, but is is this true? I saw something that they said that 86% of the world's news organizations did some kind of story on Pussy Riot. Um, I haven't seen it. No. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to get into all of that, but but the first thing I was looking at your biography. You were born in Narilsk, right? That's correct. Yeah. Can you tell us talk talk tell you, uh, our audience a little bit about? what that place is like and there's obviously a huge company i mean there's uh legendary pollution problems in that city that i've only heard about from other reporters and i I wondered exactly how true they are about how bad it is high mortality rates from narilsk nickel what was your childhood like what's the city like thank you for this question it's really important part of my personality and my identity as an activist um this is a hell-like place. This is one of the most polluted places on Earth, and this is one of the most northern uh, places, and it's built on people's bones. So it definitely has some pretty terrible energy because uh, the way how this place was started, it was an idea of Stalin, who in the 30s, he was like, hey, we should get some metal, you know, and, and we don't really care about people. That's why we'll send their people to die. And who are who will be those people, uh, innocent people who will imprison during the big terror. And that's how my place where I was born was <laughs> was done. And I think like to me, it's like pretty ironic, but really like speaking, saying that I was growing up on in a city building bones of prisoners. And then I ended up in prison by myself. Unfortunately, that's a weird logic of being a Russian activist. Um, three factories, three main factories surround my hometown. So no matter in what um, direction the wind will uh, blow, you will have black snow anyway. And uh, it's, you know, it falls down as normal white snow, but in a matter of half an hour, it becomes gray and in an hour it becomes black. And so when I would go to different like other cities in Russia, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I mean, the snow is meant to be white. I didn't know about it growing up. That's so cool, guys. (laughs) So, uh, but unfortunately, media in my hometown are totally controlled uh, by corporation that basically owns my hometown. So when I... um, wanted to write an article about it, I, I became conscious about uh, environmental issues really early because it's something that you just kind of escape when you are in my hometown. And I was 15 years old, I came to um, a media that I was working with, I was working with a newspaper, I was about to become a journalist, and they published my articles before, but they told me that we cannot publish this one, and you understand why. And I did not. And I came to my mom and I was like, what, what's what's wrong? Like she like, oh, yeah, I mean, these factories own the city. So they these guys cannot publish it. 
and I was so mad and that's why I decided to become an activist and philosopher and an artist instead of being a journalist because I, I was pissed. I didn't want to be silenced all the time by corporations who control fucking everything. How old were you at that point? I was 15. Wow. And, and Narils Nickel was one of the sort of key companies that was sort of involved in the, the creation of the oligarch class, right? I mean, that was where, um, you know, when they had the, the privatization auctions in 1996 and loans for shares, and that was, I think it was Vladimir Potanin who ended up, and an Exim Bank who ended up with that company, and they became, you know, one of the most important um, sort of oligarchical uh, you know, families in Russia, and their power base was really the Norilsk factories and the metals, the control of the metals market. I mean, that, it, was that part of your political awareness also, this idea that, you know, th there was a gangster state that was growing up around control of these natural resources? Uh, you know, it feels sinister. Like, uh, at the moment when you uh, learn about these facts that you just told us, and um, also I would mention Mikhail Prokhorov as well, mm -hmm, Prokhorov, uh, yeah. one of the owners. Uh, he was trying to run for president actually once, like being a fake opponent of Putin. Um, the good thing about Mikhail Prokhorov is that he has a really amazing sister. Uh, she's a humanitarian and educator. And so the good thing about him that, I mean, <laughs> it's always like a good thing about like uh, that around some sinister man, there is a woman <laughs> who does great right. things. Behind every like, sinister so man is a great woman <laughs> doing great things. Yeah. Is that a Russian <laughs> proverb? There must so be. I'm actually yeah. waiting for. Yeah. I'm actually waiting for Ivanka to start doing like really amazing oh, yeah. things. <laughs> so sister of Mikhail Prokhorov uh, was making like lectures and um, libraries and book sales and like all sorts of like uh, art events in my hometown, and that's how uh, partly I became a contemporary artist. So yeah, but that's pretty much only one great thing about that family. <laughs> the right. rest is just sinister. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the American audiences here in New York, I think people who follow the New Jersey Nets don't realize that their former owner, like, that's where his wealth came from, was all that pollution in that city. Um, I have no idea. But to yeah. be fair, I don't follow sports. Yeah, that's really true. crazy yeah. part about it that yeah. they don't ever show up in those cities. I mean, they, they don't live there, obviously, but they, they don't even come there. They don't work there. They outsource everything and, and they just let us die. You mentioned that like their mortality rates are much higher. Their risk of uh, having uh, cancer is two times more than in other regions of Russia, and kids are just—they literally cannot breathe. Like they cannot because of asthma. And I've seen—I was seeing those kids going with me to school, and they had to stop by. Um, a supermarket and get in there because they kind of like walk like more than five minutes in this air that's just visibly polluted by metal that just kills us but nobody cares and nobody can do anything about it because we are owned by these sinister corporations and oligarchs so you you ended up at, at moscow state and um First of all, how, how did you how did you end up there from Norilsk? And secondly, is that where you how did how did Pussy Riot come together? Is that where you met the other members of the band? Mm, I moved uh, from Norilsk when I was sixteen years old. Um, I knew for a fact, like since I was a little kid, that I'm going to move from this city because it's just not done for life. Like if you want to actually leave, you should not leave there. Mm -hmm. um, so at the moment when I got my certificate 
that I got my education in school, I, I left and I entered Moscow State University. Um, and, and a miracle really helped me because I did not have any, like, uh, how do you call them? I mean, I didn't go to any special school. Like, my mom didn't spend any money on um, helping me to get there. We didn't pay any bribes, which was literally impossible like, with all this ABC to still enter. But I did it somehow. And uh, I ended up studying philosophy. Uh, I met uh, people from my early band that was pre-Pussy Riot band in uh, studying philosophy in Moscow State University. And it was a band that's called Vaina. And it means we're in Russian, but we were not pro-military in any fashion. Uh, this war referred to an art institutions uh, because we thought that art is too commercialized and um, institutionalized. And instead of questioning what's going on, it just normalizes um, and, and just makes people believe in, in the old preconceived notions rather than trying to blow up these fucking notions. And that's why we called ourselves were, and we were making a bunch of actions on the streets and in galleries as well. We, we would come and just like make our own, like basically own this space, make our own action in a place with some glamorous exhibition useless in my um in my eyes um i still like i don't like most of the art that's being produced because i i'm, I'm just i think it's too how to say complacent right mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not questioning things enough and you guys were almost it was almost a prank right pussy band pussy riot was like a made-up band that you claimed existed <laughs> Yeah, and so after a few years of making actions within this Vaina collective, which is my favorite, was throwing out the White House. Um, we have our own White House in Russia, and we project the skull and bones on their building of our parliament. And I think it was time when Putin was in power, so he was inside, possibly. Um, and we projected this giant skull and bones, it was 40 meters wide um, projection and then we stormed the White House. We jumped over their fence, which was six meters high. We wanted to show people that they are much more vulnerable, that they mm -hmm. want to show themselves. Like they surround themselves with all these big fences. But if you have enough courage, if you have enough stubbornness, dedication to thing that you do, if you are not afraid, that's the key, you can actually break their um, shields, yeah, break their shields. And I mean, it was just five people. Imagine if it were 5,000 people or 5 millions. Yeah, but at some point we just, we started to have um, problems inside our collective and partly they were based on um, misogyny of some of our members. And um, one, uh, one of members, Alec, he really uh, inspired me to make Pussy Riot when he said, um, you know, I think that women are not really capable of doing art. And the only one woman who is capable of doing art is Leni Riefenstahl. Oh, wow, 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 really problematic. Yeah. Sing, if you're gonna go with one, maybe Frida Kahlo, maybe. Come up in this show. Yeah, I bring up a lot, Leni yeah. Riefenstahl, yeah. I don't know why, she's a, a, sh a northern um, star Yeah, class. but she was serving to Nazi Of course, yeah. Like, she was talented, I, she's good at her job, but yeah, not, but a little problematic, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, like this guy, it's not. It doesn't mean that he necessarily thought right. in this way because it, he's a big provocator and he likes right. to just provoke things, people to think. Right. And he basically provoked me to think because I was like, oh, maybe you really believe in that. And so I don't have to be in a band with you. So we started. Right. So thank God for that. Right? Thank God, the God who doesn't exist or the God <laughs> who may not exist. I mean, yeah, yeah. Another problem that we faced is just when you are in collective with men, it's so often like you give the same amount of energy, um, you take the same risks, you you give ideas, but producers, managers, leaders, ideologists always are the men. And yeah. it just created so much tension inside our collective. So we thought it's good to just make all girls collective. That's the solution. Right. One thing I really like that, that you've said that before that I think is really interesting is that you just talked about not being afraid. You also talked in the past about not being afraid of Putin personally and right. that not being terribly impressed by his thug image. I mean, I think this is interesting because, you know, when I lived over there, I had friends who knew him um, when he worked for Subchak in Petersburg, the mayor. And when the mayor wouldn't show up for a press conference and Putin, this little nebbishy, weak-looking guy, had to give the press conference, everybody was always disappointed, like, oh, this guy again? Right. I mean, he was such a zero. And then suddenly he was sort of chosen out of nowhere to become president. And it feels like this image of him as this all-powerful Oz is, is such a fraud. Um, but um, but you, you seem to see right through it. I mean, what's, what's your impression of Putin? Is he, is he really that terrifying, or or is he? It, what what what's your impression of him? Uh, I, I when I'm saying that we should not be afraid, it's not that much just about Putin. It's it's about the power in general, and that that's our way to overcome it. You know, mm -hmm. like just to realize that we are fighting against the the most powerful man on earth. And like to me, it's not that important if he's bald, if he's if Riding he's little or if he's tall, like he might look terrifying. He might look be, I don't know, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it would not ch change anything to me. I think mm -hmm. it's more important our own personal attitude inside us. Because, I mean, like we all know this phrase, we are the many and there are the few. Right. No matter how they look, <laughs> they are, we are still the many. Uh, I think our problem is we just don't realize it and it's just two really easy and but important steps be together realize that we are strong when we are together and we are, when we work um, in collective action and the second thing is just not being afraid because otherwise they will feel it they they're like I don't know like scared dogs who who are, who, who want to bite you but at the moment when you actually show them that right. you have this courage and you have the core they're scared of you and that's why i think it like when i look at political cases when i see political prisoner and i see um two political prisoners one is saying oh my god i'm sorry i was so wrong i didn't mean to come to this demonstration like i'm really sorry and i see the second one and the second one is saying fuck you I really wanted to come there and I, I stand for and I will go to jail for what I believe in. And in so many cases, this first person is getting more years in jail than the second mm. one. And it's crazy because the first one pleads guilty and 
he or she has like all the rights to get less time in prison, but it's not the case. It's just like it's always game of fear and power. <laughs> right. You're you're talking about Putin, and I, I've heard uh, a lot of. I listened to a bunch of interviews that you did with uh, a really cool dialogue you had with Chelsea Manning. Um, and then I heard you on Jimmy Dore and um, David Sirota. And um, something that was really interesting is that you're obviously like extremely critical of Putin. You were have been locked up by him multiple times. Um, what do you think the U.S. media or U.S. political class gets wrong about Putin and Russia? Hmm. Really easy question, I know. <laughs> it depends on the media. Um, right. I mean, I, I was kind of irritated when uh, all their big mainstream pol um, political media in the U.S. started to give Putin more power than he really has, and to tell, I mean, he did interfere in the elections, but I didn't didn't think that it was a decisive um, thing, and and then. And then I was kind of disappointed when I would uh, look in their U.S. media and see how much they discussed their interference thing, which is important. But at the same time, like, why don't you just discuss things that possibly brought Trump in power, like financial inequality, like not have like people don't have access to education. People are in debt. They are angry. People don't have access to health care. They're dying. Because, I mean, they're dying from diseases that we don't have to die today. It's right. 2019. It's just, I went to pharmacy in United States and I tried to buy a thing from uh, Herpes on my lip. Mm -hmm. And they awesome. told me that I have to pay like almost like $1,000 for that. I'm like, what, really? Wow. Are you kidding? I'll just ask my friends from Russia, bring it. Right. We Like in Russia, it costs $1. Because that's that's how it costs, and so that being said, I'm not denying uh, Putin's yeah. interference. I'm just like I think his image is overinflated in order to maybe not talk about internal really important issues that I'm discussing on daily basis with my American friends activists, and right. I would rather read Thomas Piketty than watch MSNBC talking about Trump's dirty underwear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like Russia went from being not a story at all, you know, back famously in 2012, Barack Obama said, right. you know, the 80s want their foreign policy back when Mitt Romney said Russia, right. Russia was the most serious threat we faced. And then suddenly it's everywhere. And it's been Russia has been almost a daily presence in American media since 2016 or so. Do, do you think that some of these stories, they they have in their roots a little bit of the fear that Americans had about the Soviet Union and the Cold War of course, and, our, yeah. and our image of Russians from yeah. back then? Because it seems like the people have a completely sort of caricatured idea of who Russians are, what they're like, whether they have a monolithic view yeah. on things or not. And you can you talk about that a little? And Keith Oberman said Russian <laughs> scum. Right. Yes. I, I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Russian that, stuff. That's, that's funny, but not, I mean, I first time encountered this um, ever-present echo of Cold War in America when I came here for the first time after uh, after we've been released from jail. And it was 2014. It was like long before 
Trump came around uh, as president, uh, but I felt it on campuses, I felt it on mm. like some TV shows that we have been invited. So basically the paradigm was like, we are living in democracy and here are their unfree countries and you are from one of them and do you are uh, your it's your role here to talk just about like how bad things are in your country but never they don't dare to mention that we have political prisoners on our own so, so when we came to senate to talk about uh, russian political prisoners we got we just got news about cecily mcmillan who was uh, a occupy wall street activist she was imprisoned oh, yeah. for a couple of months but at the time we didn't know how long she will be in prison she was facing seven years in prison for elbowing a policeman who grabbed her by the breast yeah. uh, i would do the same you know probably worse uh, <laughs> uh, or the worst yeah. and mm-hmm. so we started to talk about her um about other people who uh, did not have pleasant encounters with american police being an activist uh, in the United States, and they're just not ready to hear it because um, lots of politicians and media uh, still exist in this Cold War paradigm. That I refuse to exist in that paradigm. I think like we live in like we truly live in a global village today, and like young people, activists in Russia, they're much closer to young Americans, they do care about the same stuff. We care about gender, we care about equality. We are like mostly socialists. Like we, we want uh, climate change to stop and be reversed if it's possible. Like we really are the same in this way. And so like all this mythology about crazy Russians who are so different from us, it's just so wrong. <laughs> we heard a oh, rumor yeah. that you're a, you're a supporter of Bernie Sanders, is, th- is that right? I, I really love Bernie. I was so inspired by his existence. I remember first time uh, when I've heard about um, socialist agenda becoming um, like mainstream, I mean, jumping into mainstream in America, it it struck me. But first time I think it, it happened with Occupy Wall Street because yeah. they really like somehow nailed it. And though it were not that many people, they somehow amplified their voices so effectively so it became mainstream issue in america for the first time but still they were not represented anyhow and then bernie sanders came around and i remember reading about it i just could not believe that he can actually he <laughs> he pulled it off he, he used word socialist uh, as a positive thing for the right. first time in mainstream american media i think <laughs> right a lot of people, I think, don't understand. They're like, wait, you're a, cr- a critic of Putin, but you're saying good things about socialism. Like, there's so much conflating of leftism, socialism, Marxism, Stalinism, Putinism. Like, do you, do you find it frustrating that things get conflated into one Russian thing that people I don't mean, really... Donna Brazil still thinks it's the Soviet Union, yeah, remember? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, right. Oh, I mean, like, do you know anyone who thinks that Putin is socialist? I think people don't get like I think there some people do. They're like he's a com those commies. We 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 still see in the media here every now and then you know references you know the communists are taking over. Right. I mean that, that that there's been a little bit of that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean like the, our last really successful political campaign that we did in uh, Moscow 
it was like wooed for every possible party except of the ruling party and the second big party in Russia right now they are still communists mm. so basically like the whole summer I spent uh, encouraging people to vote for communists who are opposing Putin so guys we are we exist like Russia exists to blow your mind yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> this is a good intro yeah Tell us about Project 1937 yeah. and what that's about and what you're trying to accomplish with that. Uh, so this is a song that was inspired by uh, a phrase that um, Comrade Major in, in police department um, said to uh, Nika and uh, Peter, and there was a red activist who went uh, to, who ran into the football field last year uh, during FIFA. And uh, they were protesting against um, having political prisoners in my country. And when they were arrested, this cop said to them, I really regret that it's not 1937 right, right now. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's a common saying among uh, people of this group, Siloviki, from where Putin is. I mean, when you think about Putin, don't think about commies, don't think about like if he's a socialist, socialist or not, he is a KGB guy. He's FSB. He, his political orientation is his money, his power, and making cops and FSB as strong as possible. That's it. Like that's all that you need to know about him. Um, and we addressed um, this statement about 1937 in our new song because we thought that it's fucking terrifying. You know, it looks like Russia did not learn its lessons at all because um, Putin and uh, his uh, people who surround him, they justify the role of Stalin. And to me, this is the most sinister political figure. I'm giving an interview. Yeah. Give See, you mentioned Stalin. Someone knocks <laughs> yeah, on yeah. the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, he's he's one of the most sinister figures because he killed his own people and he used them uh, as means, you know. And and my hometown is there the biggest. I don't know how how to say it in English. I forgot all the words. Matt but speaks I'm, Russian, so you can test his Russian. <laughs> you will never forget about that and how bad was it if you are from my hometown. So we were like, yeah, maybe we'll just let know the cops through our song that 1937 is not just about us activists and ordinary citizens to be killed and arrested and slaughtered it's also about you guys because in the end of the story uh, 1937 and big terror ended up with the bosses the, the, the police bosses by themselves being killed and uh, imprisoned the song is about that mm. Yeah, for Americans who, you know, right. the, the, obviously 1937 in Russia is a huge year because that was the, that was sort of the culmination of Stalin's great terror. That's when it was at the the, the height of of the people who were you know sent away for anti-Soviet propaganda, sent to the sent to the the, the gulags, uh, you know, out in Siberia and executed and all those things. But that was when you know millions of people were arrested be arrested beginning at that time and and so what you what you're saying is that the people who are in power in Russia now they're longing to go back to that time when they can basically arrest anybody for anything yeah that's a common sentiment yeah and then you're also saying but ironically by the end those were the people who got in trouble themselves like nobody was safe 
Uh, I mean, statistics uh, from the big terror says that big chunk of people who were arrested and killed during those times, there are police bosses by themselves because they all were really insecure and scared of each other. And they, they just tried to protect their own ass by killing their own friend. And that's what happens when you start to erode human ethics yet you, you should not even start because at some point it will get you to right. and so in the end of the song i'm singing that um hey comrade major how do you feel about your own arrest so, so you did two years and and the first time the, the first time and you were in where did where did you serve your time i think you were in mordovia the first for the first stretch but i don't what what prisons were you in and can you tell us a little bit about those experiences yeah <laughs> i was i was in twi- uh, 12 prisons in general wow so it's here it's hard to keep the track even for me <laughs> um the first one was Moscow prison. That's the place where you um, wait for your trial. And so there is a famous conversation between Shalamov and Solzhenitsyn about the role of prison in in human life. Uh, Solzhenitsyn was like, actually prison and prison camps helps me to realize deeply who I am because I went through so much struggle and it helped me to like, crystallize crystally clear understand who i am um i'm not quoting but that's the idea and shalamov um said that it's wrong because the difference between jail and prison camp is really big and shalamov says all about it so jail is a place where you just you can sit in a cell read books talk to other people and basically leave a normal life except you cannot go outside prison camp is really different you have to work there and that's the difference and uh, when this um, work thing involved they start to exploit you so that's what happened in my prison camp they exploded me and uh, women who were around me who worked for 16 hours a day we did not belong to ourselves we lost any thoughts that we had before we didn't have chance to read books to write letters to our relatives to they go to religious institutions it's about people who are interested in that yeah they don't have chance to do it we did not have chance to take um, a shower to eat and basically to sleep and so it definitely it this kind of situation erodes you and shalamov was telling that prison camp labor camp where you have to work it erodes and uh, erodes human soul and brings up the worst in you and i definitely saw it it's like the (laughs) labor prison camp is something that um i think thomas gobs would be really happy to see because definitely uh human to human is like a wolf in a prison camp because people trying to survive and just just scratching their the remains so it was terrible it was utterly terrible. It was hell on earth. And uh, I ended up uh, making hunger strike after a, a year in Mordovia uh, because I felt like it's it's enough. It's enough. And I'm like not like I had Messiah complex or something, but I realized that actually if somebody can change something in this system right now in this prison, then it's me just because I have access to right. lawyers 
and to media. Um, all other people who tried, who ever tried to protest against system, they ended up just being, um, you know, being rotten in solitary confinement. <laughs> with, like, in winter, they did not even give, provide heat uh, to the solitary confinement. So basically, it's just like you're slowly dying there. Um, the another way how they control you, they uh, they control your medication if you're ill if you're say you're HIV positive and uh, lots of people in prison camps are HIV positive just because of Russia has our own drug war mm. and a lot of drug users they end up in prison and some of them HIV positive and that's the way how they control them they say like you have to be obedient if you want to have your medication if you want to want to save your life if you want to see your relatives, if you want to be a good mother, like if you're not obedient, then it means that you're not a good mother because you don't want to be obedient, you don't want to leave this jail. Right. Yeah, think about your kids. Like they use like all kinds of terrible sexist patterns in order to control women and they unfortunately succeed in it. Um, and tuberculosis too, right? I mean, isn't that a terrible yeah. problem? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not like, <laughs> but I have like a really fun um ending of this story. So after five years um, of me being released, I I mean, I kind of stopped thinking about my prison boss, though I really hated him. Like he was my personal enemy. He was like, like he, at the first moment when I came to that penal colony, he was like, you know what? I really love Stalin. I was like, fuck, <laughs> I'm really fucked. I'm really fucked right now. So he would invite me to his office almost every day and just being like a basically sadistic, crazy creature who would tell me like, you know, I have complete power over you. So like you have all these supporters, you may be someone on the outside, but here you're fucking nothing. Like I have complete, uh, it's, it, it's terrible. So now he is uh, under criminal investigation by himself. <laughs> nice. Uh, he's facing years in prison. He's not unfortunately in prison by himself, but he's under house arrest. Uh, and um, so that letter that I wrote and that hunger strike really helped. It worked after five years. And that's another lesson that I have for my fellow activists, you know, never give up. You know, you never know when the results will come. I stopped thinking about it. And then I got the news. He's in jail. <laughs> Well, on that note, I think you know that that's a great that's a great happy ending. Um, we'll, 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 we'll definitely let you go, uh, but we should ask you know just while, while we have. I mean, there's a huge, obviously, controversy here in the states right now about this Ukraine thing. Do you have any thoughts about that? Any insight? Do you think it's what's what's your reaction to this sudden, enormous, all-consuming news story right now? I don't have any insights. I don't like to play in the political analyst. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> one. <laughs> and anything you want to say about your um, the impact of this on your family? I know you have a daughter. Um, how this is inspiring her, or maybe scaring her off? Hopefully not. But yeah, the impact <laughs> on your and your you know your fa your parents and also so both generations, I guess, your parents and your daughter. They're badass, like all the generations of my family. And my dad played uh, an important role as an activist in Perestroika in the early 90s and the end of uh, 80s. Uh, and my mom fully supported me. Like, the only one thing that she may not support is my tattoos. But, you know, that's, <laughs> Ooh, that's a little thing. <laughs> yeah. But she's getting there. She's getting there. And my kid, um, she's 11 right now. 
I actually was scared uh, when she was like around seven because it was like four years ago and four years ago was 2014, right? Or what, whatever. Anyway, it was a really difficult time for all the political activists in Russia because we had like, we had war with Ukraine. Uh, uh, Crimea was annexed. And we had this vigilantes just walking around streets and basically punching and punching in the face, killing uh, political activists. It was really dangerous to be one in 2014-15. And those years I was really scared about uh, my kid uh, because she was about to become a teenager and I thought she might be bullied and stuff. But luckily for me and for her, situation really changed in Russia and now I think Putin does not realize it yet but actually Russia is going under his control is um, uh, I think it's a generational thing in a lot of ways because there there is uh, a generation on political arena right now who never saw anybody but Putin 18 years old 19 years old kids and even 14 years old kids they're showing up on streets and they're saying that we really want changes because we didn't see anything good that being brought to us by this dude and we're just fucking sick and tired they are straightforward and courageous and like you know if you look at Greta Thunberg and imagine like you know thousands of those people you will have um, a good taste of what's going on in the streets of Russia right now and Putin honestly doesn't fucking know what to what to do about it and it changed political climate a lot that that we have people who are present ever present on the streets and are ready to stand for their rights and are not afraid all right well um that's great. That's, yeah. that's a, a rare, positive, yeah, optimistic yeah. viewpoint. So and you have uh, to say, say goodbye in <laughs> Russian so she can tell me how your Russian is. <laughs> До свидания. Пока. Пока. Спасибо очень большое. So we can't. Спасибо вам. All right. Thank you so much, Nadia. Yeah. And, thank uh, you so much. And, uh, Come back we'll, on whenever. Good, good luck, and we'll hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. I want to talk to you more. You are fun. Yeah, come back. And when you're in New York, we'll come, in, come, in, come in live if you're in New York. So, 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 I'm scared of New York, really. Like, there's so many things going on and my head is exploding. I don't like New York. Right. <laughs> we'll be your bodyguards. Yeah. All right, excellent. Bye. Right, thanks, Nadia. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. I and I just want to say I totally knew who some of the people that she mentioned were, but I thought that Matt, I wanted to make sure you knew who they were. So right. to prove that you knew who they were, the people she was reading in prison, I'm giving you a chance to tell everyone. <laughs> so can you just tell the audience and the listeners who who she's talking about? So she, I think she was talking about Solzhenitsyn and Shalamov. Okay, yeah. yeah so these one. are two of the great sort of bards of Russian pr- prison literature or Soviet prison literature. Solzhenitsyn wrote. The Gulag Archipelago, which everybody in America, you know, had to read in high school or college in, in the you know 70s and 80s. And Shalamov wrote this book that was one of my favorite books. Actually, one of the reasons I went to Russia in the first place, Kalima Tales. Um, and the difference with what she's talking about is, is is actually an interesting difference between the two books because um, Solzhenitsyn had this sort of experience where he did a lot of thinking when mm-hmm. he was in. Um, prison, uh, whereas Shalama's books are basically like, yeah, you go to the gulag and you cut logs until you die, and mm. that's basically the whole book. So that's that's the Shalamov yeah, take. Yeah, Bar- then... Barlam Shalamov. The other was uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And his take is like, 
It's you just think the, a lot? Yeah, well, the, the Kalima Tales is a, just a very dark, like emotionally grinding book about when you go when you go off to prison camp, just how incredibly brutal, cruel, and hard it is, and it's just about people sort of expiring left and right under the the conditions. Um, and you know, she, I don't think she she wasn't in the far north, you know, cutting logs, but um, you know, obviously she had an extremely difficult time. I, I didn't know that story, so that was pretty intense. Yeah. All right. Well, that was great. I mean, she's yeah. really. I, I think the thing about Pussy Riot and and, uh, and Nadia. I mean, they're clearly a, an inspirational story for activists everywhere. They've been successful in getting their message out in a way that probably no other young activists right. in the world have been. So that, that's, uh, that, that was great to talk to her. Really yeah. Cool. Glad she made time for us because <laughs> she's busy. All right. Excellent. That was uh, Useful Idiots. Yeah. And thanks for listening and uh, for tune listening. in next week. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify and on YouTube. And of course, you know you want to rate and review us because you love us, but also because we together we will have take to be, down yeah. Pod Save America. Yeah. Nadia's taking down the Russian state. Yeah. And we have our we own take down enemy. Pod Save America. Yeah, that's our, that's own our like political mission. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.